Hers of Hers Cot. We were eating together, and always afterwards at Christ's church. I'd always got on very well with him, but somehow he was a man about whom none of the other men cared very much. There was always something strange and secret about him. He went eating, he liked grabbing among the books, trying chemical experiments, betting in cricket on all boats, and sort of things would make any boy unpopular. Oxford, it wasn't merely studious ways and his love of science that went against him. It was a certain habit he ended up gazing at us through narrowing lids, as though he was looking at us more from the outside than any human being had a right to look at any other, and a bored air of longing for to another and higher race, whatever he talked of uh, ordinary chatter about athletics and schools, a wild paper on black magic which he read at the essay society filled to the flowing the cup of his college contentment for him. I suppose no man has ever so much disliked for so little cause. When we went down, I noticed, for I knew his people at home, that sentiment dislike which he inspired in most men was curiously in contrast to emotions that he inspired in women. They all liked him, listened to him with rapid attention, talked to him with an undiscriminate enthusiasm. I watched their strange infatuation, a calmness of several years, but the, the days came when he when he met Kate Devers, and then I was not calm any more. She behaved like the rest of the women, and to her quite suddenly, hers threw the handkerchief. He was not hers of Hanacott then, but his family was good, and his means did not not despi- despi- despicable. He and she were conditionally engaged. People said it was a poor match for the beauty of the county and the people. I now hope she might think better of it. As for me, well, this is the story of my life. But of there is, I need to say that I thought him a lucky man. I went to town to complete the studies and made of me. M.D. Hurst went abroad to Paris to a homestead or somewhere to study hypnotism. But her hair notes his book on black magic. This came out in the autumn and had a strange and brilliant success. Hurst became famous, famous as a man. It would come nowadays. His writings were asked by all the big big periodicals. His future seemed assured. In spring, they were married. I was not present at the wedding. I practiced with my father. I brought for him to London, claimed all my time, as I said. In more than a year after their marriage, they had a, had a letter from us. Quite actually, me, old man. Crowds of uncles and cousins have died, and I am Hurst of Hazelpot, which, which God wrote I never thought to be. A place is like places all pieces. We cannot live anywhere else. If you can get away from September, come down and see us. We shall be installed. I have, I have everything now. I have long for Hasselcott, Hasselcott cradle or race, and all that. The only woman in the world of my life, my wife. But that's enough of a man, surely. John Hurst or Hasselcott. Of course, I knew Hurst. Who does not? Hurst was a, a, a very. Which seventy years ago was the most perfect as well. The finest thick brick to the mansions in England. The Hurst, who lived there several seventy years, noticed one day that this chimney smoked 
and called in Hastings after it. Well, generally, said the local man, I'll be on me, but that with the tempers and lead, lead of your castle, I can build you a snug little house in the corner of your park. Well, said all for the residents in this old brick building, so they gutted Hammerhurst got and built the new house, and faced it with a stucco. All the rich things have been now that we will find written in the guide of Thoretics, has the court. When I seen it, it had been the meanest shell. How could Hurst make it unhandleable, even if he inherited much money for the castle intended to restore the building? That would be a work of years, not months. What should he do? In September, I went to see. Hurst met me in Paris Sea Station. <coughs> Let's walk up, he said. There's a cart to bring your traps. Ah, but it's good to see you again, Bernard. It was good to see him again, to see him so changed, and so changed for good too. He's much more stouter, and no longer wore the untidy, ill-fitting clothes of the old days. He rather smartly got up with grey stockings and knee breeches, and wore a violet shooting jacket. But the most notable change was his face. He bore more eager, requiring half schoolful, half tolerant look that warned him so much ill. We were Oxford. His face now was the face of a man, completely at peace with himself and with the world. Well, well, you look, I said, as he walked along the levels of one road, fiddled still marches. How much better, you mean? He laughed. I know it, Bernard. You hardly believe it. I look, I am on the way to be a popular man. He not lost his old knack of reading one's thoughts. Don't trouble yourself to find a polite answer to that, he hastened to add. No one knows as well as I how unpopular I was, and how no one knows as well why, he added in a very low voice. However, he went on again, the unpopularity is a thing of the past. I hope he is safe about calling us and condole with us all hutch. A thing of the past, as I said. But what a past it was, huh? You're the only man who liked me. You weren't what they have been so, so many, a dark day and night. When the others were, you know, it was like a hound hand in mine. To think of you, I always thought I was sure one soul in the world would stand by me. Yes, I said, yes. He flung his arm over my shoulder, and with a frank boy's gesture of affection, quite foreign to his nature, as I known in it. I know why you didn't come to our wedding, he went on. That's all right now, isn't it? Yes, I said again, for indeed it was. There was brown eyes in the world, after all as well as blue, and one pair of brown that met Haven to me, as a blue was never done. That's well. Haste Hurst answered, and we walked on the satellite silence, till we passed along the phase curled ridge, and went down to the hill of Huscott. It lies in a hollow ringed round of his moat, its deep red walls showing that sky beyond him. There's no welcome smuggle Early little candle, only the pale amber of September evening, shining through the gaunt, unglazed windows. Three planks of rude, rough handrail have replaced the old drum drawbridge. We passed across the moat, and the hearse pulled a knotted rope and hung beside the iron door. A bell clanged loudly inside. In a moment we spent there waiting, us pushed back a bar. Was still trailing across the arch, and left it 
thought outside the hammer. Nature is too much for us here, he said laughing. Kilometer spends its time tripping one up or clawing one's hair. We were always expecting the ivy to force itself through the window and make an uninvited third of our dinner table. There was a great door Hascot Castle swung open. There stood Kate, a thousand times sweeter, more beautiful than ever. I would like to have her momentary terror and desolment. She indeed was much more beautiful than any woman the brown eyes could be. My heart almost stopped beating. With life, with life and back or death, in a balance right? To be beautiful is not the same thing as to be dear. Thank God I went forward and took her hand. With a free heart, it was a pleasant fortnight, I spent with them. They had one tower completely repaired. In its queer eight-sided rooms we lived. We were not out among... When we were not among the hearts or by the sea, our pervisory, Mrs. Hurst had made the rooms quickly charming by a medley of liberty stuffs and Wardour Street furniture. A grassy space within the castle walls with underground passages and crumbly heaps of masonry overgrown with lush creepers was better than any gone. When we met the fresh morning, we lounged there through lazy afternoons. A great evening found us. I never seen any two people, maybe people so utterly, so indignantly in love as they were. I am a third, and had no embarrassment of being so. But the love had in it, had in it completeness a childish abandonment, to which the presence of a third, a man, a friend, was no burden. A happiness reflected on the day shone on me. The days went on by dreamlike, brought the eve on my return to London, and the commonplace of life. We were sitting in the courtyard, Hurst had gone to the village to post some letters. A big moon was just shining over the battlements. When Mrs. Hurst shivered, it's late, she said, and cold. The summer is gone. Let's go in, she went. So we went in to warm, to a little warm room where the wood fire flickered. The break heath, and a shady lamp was really glowing softly. Here we sat in the cushioned seat, the open window, and looked through the lounge wind panels of the gold moon, and ah, the light of her making ghosts in the white mist that rose thick and heavy from the moat. I'm so sorry you're going, she said presently, but you'll come and skate on the moat with us, Christmas, won't you? You mean to have a medieval Christmas? You don't know what what that is, neither do I. But John does. He's very, very wise. Yes, I answered. He used to know many things. Most men don't even dream to, as possible to know. She was silent a minute and then shivered again. I picked up the shawl she had thrown down. When she came in, we came in. I put it round her. Thank you. I think, don't you? There's some things... One is not meant to know, and someone is meant not to meant to know. See the decision? I suppose so. Yes. Did it ever frighten you in the old days? She went on. You see, John would never, was always. He's given all that up now. Oh yes, ever since I knew him. Do you know he used to memorise me? It was horrible. And book this. A book of his. I don't know what you... I didn't know you believed about it. Oh, I don't. But at least bit. I never have... A, I never was all suspicious, you know. But these things always frighten me just as much as I believe in them. And besides, I think just 
They are wicked, but John, ah, oh, he is. Let's go and meet him. The dark, his dark figures outlined again. The sky behind the hill. She wrapped the shore, soft shore, more closely around her. She, we went in, up in the midnight, uh, moonlight to meet her husband. Next morning, when I entered the room, I found that blackish sheet. Chef ornament, the sparkling white and silver breakfast accessories were, were there, but there was death white hands. A clearly working blue eyes, and my hostess so I looked in vain. At ten minutes past at nine, Hurst came in looking horribly worried, and more than like his old self, and expected to see him. I say, old man, he said hurriedly, are you really sort of going back to town today? Because Kate's awfully queer. I think what, I can't think it was wrong. I want you to see see her after breakfast. I flicked a minute. I could stay if you said if I send a wire. I said, I wish you could. I said, wringing my hand and turning away. You've been off ahead most of the night. Talking about the most astounding nonsense. You must see her after breakfast. Will you pour out the coffee? I'll see her now, if you like. I said and he led me to the winding stair to the room at the top of the tower. I found her quite sensible, but very feverish. I wrote a prescription and rode her mare over to Eastbourne to get made up. When I got back, she was worse. It seemed to be sort of an aggravated March fever. I approached myself, letting her sit on my open window night before, but I remembered with some satisfaction that I told her that the place was not quite healthy. I only wished I had insisted on it more strongly. For the first day or two, I was merely a touch of March fever, but it would pass off the more, no world worse consequences than a wounded weakness. On the third day, I perceived that she could, would die. Hers told me as I came from bedside, stood aside on a narrow landing for me to pass, and followed me down to a little sitting room, which deprived for three days of its presence. I already bore the air and room longing deserted. He came in after me and shut the door. You're wrong, he said abruptly, reading my faults as usual. She won't die, she won't die, she will, I rightly answered, for I am not a believer. Worst refinement of torture, known as breaking news gently. Send for any other man you could choose. I could consult with a whole college of physicians, if you like, but nothing short of miracles, save her. And you don't believe in miracles, he answered quietly. I do, you see. My dear fellow, don't buoy yourself up with false hopes. I know you my I know my trade. I wish I didn't could believe I didn't. Go back to her now. You have not very long to be together. I wring his hand, we turned to the pressure. He said almost cheerfully, You know your trade, old man, but you are some things you don't know. Mine, for instance, I know mean my wife's constitution. Now I know that thoroughly. And you mark my words, she won't die. You might as well say I'm not long for this world. You? I said a touch of annoyance. You're good for another forty, fifty, thirty to forty years. Exactly so, he rejoined quickly. And so is she. She, she. Her life is good as mine, you see. She won't die. At dusk of the next day, she died. He was with her. He did not leave her since he told me. Me that she would not die. She was sitting on her holding her hand. She was unconscious at the same time. When suddenly she dragged her hand from his, him, him, his, and raised herself in bed. A quite a tonal coup, anguish. John, John, let go, for heaven's sake, let me go. 
Then she fell back dead. He would, could not understand, would not believe. He sat up by her, holding her hand and calling her by every name that love could teach, would, could teach him. Again the fear for his brain. He could not leave her. So by and by, I woke a cup of coffee, which I mixed a strong opulent. In about an hour, I went back and found him fast asleep in his eyes, on a pillow close to the face of his dead wife. A guard and I carried him back to my bedroom. I sent for a woman from the village. He slept for twelve hours. When he woke, his first words were, She's not dead. I must go to, get, must go to her. I hoped at the sight of her, pale and beautiful still, with the white ash, ashes around her. Her cold hands crossed on her breast. Could convince him. But no, he looked at her and said, Bernard, you know, fool, you know as well as I do, this is not death. We cheat it so, it's some form of collapsy. If he can, can wait and find himself like this, the shot might destroy us, reason. And to the horror of the woman from the village, he flung the archers to the floor and covered the body with blankets and set for a hot wood wells. I was not quite convinced his brain was affected. I saw plainly, Enough that he never consent to take the necessary steps for the funeral. I began to wonder whether I could not send for another doctor, but I felt I did not care to try the opera again. On my responsibility, something might be done about the funeral. I spent the day considering the matter. Day passed by, John Hursby fired his wife's body. Then I made up my mind to try in all my powers to bring him to reason, and to this end I went... I went once more into the chamber of death. I found Hurst talking wildly, in low whispers. He seemed to be talking to someone who was not there. He did not know me, and suffered myself to be led away. He was, in fact, in the first stage of bravery. I actually blessed his, his illness, because he opened the way to Delirium, in which I found myself. I wired for a trained nurse from town, a local undertaker. In a week she was buried. I found her still unconscious and unheeding, but I did not look forward to the first renewal of consciousness. Yet his first conscious word was not inquiry. I dreaded. He only asked whether he had been ill well long, and what was the ma- been the matter. When I told him, he just nodded and went off to see again. A few years later, I found him decided feverish, but quite ev- himself mentally. I said to him in answer to any question, which he put to me, there's no brain disturbance now. I'm not mad or anything. Oh, no, my dear fellow. Everything is as it should be. Then he answers slowly, I must go, get up and go to her. I wear fear of lawyers. In the moments of intense mental strain, the truth sometimes overpowers still one's better resolve. It sounds very horrible. I don't know what I meant to say. What was, what I said was, you can't, she's buried. Then he sprang in bed and I caught her him by the shoulders. That is true. You cry? I'm not mad. Oh, great God in heaven, let go of her. He goes to her. Let me go. It's cool. true, true. I held him fast and spoke. I'm strong, you know that. You're weak and ill. You're quite. You're still in my power. We're old friends. There's nothing I can do to serve you. Tell me what you mean. I'll do anything you wish. This is said to me, Susan. Let me go to Let me go to her. He said, Tell me what it, about it. I, I repeated, you're too ill to, Ill to go there. I will, if you can collect yourself and tell me why. 
you could, you could, you could not walk five yards. Look at me doubtfully. You'll help me? You'll stay? You won't say I'm mad? I have me shut up? Will you help me? I, yes, I will. I swear it. All the time I was wondering why, why, what I should do to keep him from his mad purpose. He laid down his pillows, white and ghost. Deathly, his thin fidget sunken eyes slowly showed haunt, haunt like eyes showed hook like above, above growth of his four week beard. I look at his hand, pulse of vision, his lean fingers clenched themselves round mine. Look here, he said, I don't know. There aren't any words to tell how true it is. I'm not a man, I'm not wondering. I'm as sane as you are. Now listen, if you're a human heart in you, you help me. When I married her, I gave up hypnotism and all the old studies. He hated old business. Before I gave up, I hypnotized her. I wish she was completely under my control. I forbade her soul to leave its body until my time came to die. I breathed more freely. Now I understood why he said she could not die. My dear man, I said gently, dismiss these fancies and face your grief. Only. You cannot control the great facts of life and death, Richardson. She is dead. She is dead. Her body lies in this place, but her soul is the God who gave it. No, he cried with such strength that the fever left him. No, no. Ever since I've been ill, I've seen her every day, every night, and always wringing her hands and groaning. Let me go, John. Let me go. It's were her last words indeed, I said. Isn't that natural they should haunt you? See, he obeyed her soul, not leaving the body, as it was left. It was left. It. She is dead. His answer came almost a whisper, born wings of long, breathless walls. She is dead, but her soul has not left her body. I held his hand more closely, still deliberate, berating what I should do. He comes to me. He went on. He comes to me continually. He does not reproach. He simply applauds. Let me go, John. Let me go. I have no more power now. I cannot let her go. I cannot reach her. I can do nothing. Nothing. Oh, he cried with a sudden sharp change of voice and thrill for me the ends of my fingers and feet. Oh, Kate, my life. I'll come to you. No, you will. You shan't. Be left alone, alone the dead. I'll come to my sweet. He reached his arm out towards the door and took a look. A look of loving, so he really, so patiently dressed, a certain presence. And I suddenly I turn sharp to see if, in truth, perhaps, nothing, of course, nothing. She is dead, I repeat, simply. I was obliged to bury her. A shudder ran through him. I must go and see for myself, he said. Then I, then I know, all in a minute, what to do. I will go, I said. I will open her coffin, and if she is not as, not as other dead folk, I will bring her body back to this house. Will you go now, he asked, with his set lips. It was nigh on midnight. I looked into my eyes. Yes, now, I said, but you must have swear to lie still until I return. I swear it. I, I, I saw I must trust him. I went I went to wake the nurse. He called weakly after me. That lantern is in the tool shed. And Bernard, my, yes, my dear chap, there's a screwdriver in the sideboard drawer. I think until he said that, I really might meant to go. They were not accustomed, I, even to mad people. I think I meant it till then. I leaned on my elbow and looked at me with wide-eyed open eyes. I think, he said, so you must feel out the body and yet tied to it all. 
Oh, no, you're not dead. Oh, I must make, make haste, make haste. For I am not mad. I am, I am really fretted to my soul. But there is but one way, and that is, I must die too. My soul can leave. And soul can leave a body when I die. I called the nurse and left him. I went out and crossed the road to the church, but did not go in. I carried him through driving a lantern. At least he should send see, see, the nurse to see if I'd taken him. I leaned on the church wall and thought of her. I had loved that woman. I remembered in that hour. As soon as I dared, I went back to him. I remember I believed him mad and would lie that I had thought would give him some he might give him suppose he's well he said eagerly as I entered a sign across to the the nurse to leave us. There's no hope, I said. You must not see your wife again till you meet her in the heaven. I laid down the screwdriver and lantern and set him down by him. You have seen her? Yes. There is no doubt? There is no doubt. I am not mad. You're good for that, Bernard. I never forgive it, fret it in the waste world or next. He seemed calm and fell asleep with his hand on his. My hand is his. His last word was thinking and cut me like, like a knife. He, that, that cut me like a knife. When I went to the British room the next morning, he was gone. Body fell over and let her lay painfully scrawled, pencil addressed to me. You lie, perhaps you make kindly. You don't understand. She's not dead. She's been with me again. Through her soul may not leave her the body. Thank God it still can still speak to me. That vault is worse than Miss Churchill grave. Goodbye. Ran all the way to church and entered over the door. In the air was a still and dark and crisp winter autumn sunlight. A stone clothed the vault of the house of Ascot had been raised. It was lying beside a dark gaping hole in the chest floor. The nurse, the following, came in before I could shake up the horror. They held me moveless. We both went down to the vault. Weak as also by illness or so. John Hurst had yet found strength to follow his love to the grave. I tell you, he crossed that wood, alone, grey until dawn. Alone he had risen the stone and gone down to her. He had opened a coffin and he laid on the floor, fault with his wife's body in his arms. He had been dead for some hours. His brown eyes filled with tears when they told my wife his story. You're quite right, he was mad, he said there. Poor things, poor lovers. But sometimes when I wake in the rain mornings, we're waking and sleeping, thinking of those things that I must shut out from my sleeping and my waking thoughts. I wonder if it, I was either right or he was. Was he mad or why was he infinitely incredulous? For that is, that is the thing that haunts me. When I found them dead together in the vault, she had been buried for five weeks, but the body laid in John's arms a moment, rolling coffins of the heads of Blackwood. It was perfect, beautiful, and when he first clasped her, his arms, a bride.